a year ago when we were sitting here December 24th, 2019. It was rainbows and butterflies. Oh, the stock market was just running forever. We couldn't imagine a, a, a period where it wouldn't continue to go up. The economy, economy was, was booming. Fair. Life was great. We could go out to dinner wherever we wanted. I mean, we could travel. We could do. We could see. It seemed like more and more people were doing well. And then, boom, our world gets turned upside down. Happy anniversary to us. Happy anniversary. Why is it happy anniversary? I was supposed to ask you why is ha- why is it happy anniversary? Do you know what happened exactly one year ago today? Uh, I do. It was the 24th of December. Yes, 2019. 2019. It was our very first recording. It was our very first recorded podcast episode. It, it was. It was the first time we were in the studio with Ace, who we've talked about a bunch. I'm kind of sad that we're not in the studio with him today, that we're doing this remotely. But you look marvelous. You look like you're sitting across from me in the studio, but you're on my big screen. Exactly. That's not something we would have planned when we first sat down and did this in 2019. I, I don't think we could have. If when you and I sat down to record our first podcast episodes in 2019, I think we recorded episodes one through three that day where we told my original story about what led to financial sobriety. And then you have a story to tell? You said I did. So we decided to go record. Well, you wrote a book about it first. There you go. Then we decided to record it in a podcast, which was kind of cool. Could you have imagined when we were recording those episodes, if we were to fast forward a year later and look back on that year and had we laid out what we had planned that year to be, would you have imagined this was the year that would have happened? Oh, undoubtedly. Yes. I, I had this all scripted out. You knew COVID was coming. You knew crazy was coming. We had it yeah. all scripted no, I, out. No, I knew the election results. I knew what the market was going to do. <laughs> I knew what COVID was. I knew how to address it and handle it. I've been taking those Clorox tablets since December 24th last year. Oh, nice. The Clorox yeah. chewables? The, the Clorox chewables. And my innards are clean as a whistle. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> That's you know. awesome. That's I can awesome. whistle I can whistle out of any orifice. Well, I'm I'm so glad you had this thing pegged and you knew it was going to happen. It sure felt like you had it pegged. I mean, this was just the easiest year in the world for you and me. It was the easiest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, first of all, I would like to correct you on something cuz you said that was 1 year ago. I think it was more like 32 years ago. Isn't today Tuesday, March 14th? That's that's one of the biggest takeaways for me this year is at times You know, when when your kids were little and, you know, you're at the mall, you're at the grocery store and you got two sniveling kids on a grocery cart and you're exhausted and you got snot on your shirt and your kids got a stinky diaper and, you know, some lovely older woman comes over and goes, oh, the the days are long, but the years go fast. And you just frankly, you just want to like slap this woman because you're just so incredibly miserable. I have some vague memories of of uh, those moments. Yes, well, I that's do. the beauty of it is they become vague over time because we forget. Yeah. The point to my diatribe is this year feels like that. It feels a little bit like those child rearing years where the days are long and the years go fast because there are parts of this year that were like a blip. Like I just zoom. I can't believe it was a year ago that we were recording. Right. So there's that, right? Yeah. And then I also, it feels like it was a hundred years ago, given the turmoil and the stress and just the craziness, the utter, utter, utter craziness 
And obviously, we're still in the middle of it, so it's going to be very difficult for any of us to be able to reflect on this until some. Number one, it's over. Number two, some time has passed. But for uh, me, I think we're I think we're getting towards the end. I th I think we're going to wake up on the first of January in twenty twenty one, and it's all going to be over. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We're just going to wake up, and it's going to have magically all changed back to the way it was when we were first recording in December of twenty nineteen. So, I mean, have you packaged that fairy dust or do you, do you snort the fairy dust? What do you do with that stuff? I mean, how do you get it? How, how do you get to that mindset where on J1, it's going to be all good? It's just a meditation. I, it's a nice little illusion I've created for myself. I mean, one of, one of my biggest takeaways from 2020 is to create your own reality. See, I mean, it just seems like that's, that's been kind of front and center to me is to create my own reality. So I'm, I'm just deciding that on January 1, everything goes back to normal. I love it. There you go. Why don't you do like a press release or actually what would probably be better than a press release is like a, you know, like a 90 second TikTok video. Ooh. And like a crop top kind of thing. I think that, I think you could pull that off. That'd be really good. <laughs> I look good in a crop top. Uh -huh. I haven't done it in years. We're trying to be a family rated show. Okay. Then I'll stay out of the crop tops. I'll stay with uh, crew neck t-shirts. If you think about what this year has been like, who in their right mind could have predicted any of this stuff? Oof. I can't remember a year looking back on and reflecting where it couldn't have been more different or differenter than what I would have drawn up a year ago. I mean, it's, it just, I can't think of a year where it's been more different than what I would have imagined the year to turning out to be. And yet this time of year, so many people will play that same game and look into 2021 and try to prognosticate all kinds of stuff. Part of why I was saying to you, that I think on January 1st, we're just going to wave our magic wand and it's going to be like 2020 never existed and I create my own reality. I mean, there's a little bit of ha-ha to that, but there's also, you know, a little bit of truth to that. It's, it's something you, you taught me a long time ago. I've, I even found a little video on my phone that I took of you doing this up on your whiteboard. It's this idea that we as human beings naturally, for the most part, can only see one directionally. Yeah, we extrapolate in one direction. Right. We can only see down the road in the direction that we're going. So this time a year ago, when we were sitting here December 24th, 2019. It was rainbows and butterflies. Oh, the stock market was just running forever. We couldn't imagine a, a, a period where it wouldn't continue to go up. The economy, economy was, was booming. Yeah, economy was fantastic. Life was great. We could go out to dinner wherever we wanted. I mean, we could travel. We could do. We could see. It seemed like more and more people were doing well, and we couldn't envision another direction. And then, boom, our world gets turned upside down. Things completely change. And now, everywhere I seem to turn and look, it's only this one direction of downhill, 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 misery, 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 locked up, can't travel, can't do. And so many people around me, it feels like, can't see around the corner, can't see what's to come after people get vaccinated and 2021 brings in a whole bunch of new hope for us. Let's not forget how paralyzing fear is. Sure. Right. And I am on, uh, I'm on the doorstep of uh, 50 turning 51 in a couple of days. And Oh, come on. You don't look a day over 50. I know I was born this age. <laughs> and for me, I cannot remember a year that had more fear. We have friends, we have neighbors, we have clients that have not left their homes since March. Yeah. And I get it. I honor the fear that a lot of people have. 
But to think that this is going to continue with this amount of fear in the ether, it's just, it, it's impossible. I was meeting with clients of ours. They said something very interesting to me. So they both were recently diagnosed as having COVID. They both tested positive. And what was amazing was what they shared with me about fear. We're not afraid anymore. We've been living in fear from catching this thing for 10 months now. And the fear has been paralyzing. Now that we both have it, even though we're uncomfortable and we have symptoms and we have to stay home, the fear has left. It kind of made me think about something you shared earlier about one of the biggest lessons we learned in 2020 is that whatever we think is going to happen doesn't necessarily always happen. Yeah. And that life is just full of surprises. Life is one gigantic surprise. We've spent lots of time talking about that, this idea of future tripping, this idea of living in our heads and thinking about what may or may not happen in the future and how often does it really play out that way? I mean, here, here's a couple that had literally lived in fear for almost the entire 2020 year of getting this COVID crazy. They get it and now the fear has gone. That is wild. I know one of the things I'm going to work really, really hard on for 2021, you know, this is the time of the year that I do that say no more list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've thrown out the idea of doing the New Year's resolutions because by January 4th, they're, they're all gone. I've, I've forgotten about them. I've cleaned up the trees put away, the decorations are put away, and all those wonderful resolutions I made are gone. So now so what kind I, of, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what kind sure. of things go on your say no more list? I think this is a really... This is a really cool thing that I'm going to do this year, thanks to you. And I think there's a lot of people that could benefit from this. What are the kinds of things you put on your say no more list? Well, one of the things I'm going to put on this year is no more living in fear. Now, that's not to say I'm not going to have moments where I fear where I feel fearful. There are definitely things that I can do when I feel fear that doesn't allow my head to hijack it, like my thoughts to hijack those fearful feelings and then turn it into this movie reel in my head. I mean, there's all sorts of tools that you and I talked about throughout all the episodes on taking care of self. Things like, you know, deep meditative breathing, just sitting down and taking a few breaths, pausing. Sure. I mean, there are lots of tools you and I have talked about. We love that app that you and I both fell in love with early in the year called Calm. And just being able to use some of these tools to not live in fear honor when fear shows up and allow that feeling to be there, but not allowing my thought process or my head to hijack it and turn that fear into uh, unnecessary suffering. So it's just really going back and using some of those tools like pausing, slowing things down, taking deep breaths, getting as close to this present moment as I possibly can. When I first started the say no more list, it was simple things, no more fast food, no more, no more smoking cigars on weekdays. No more fast food. That was my whole Chick-fil-A episode. (laughs) It was. That's when we talked about that. No more fast food. No more soda during the week. I mean, I had a lot of these no more, say no more to pretty obvious things that weren't healthy for me. There was a time where I said no more to drinking alcohol. No more unconscious eating. No more eating after 7 p.m. How do you eat unconsciously? Oh, well, if if this were on like YouTube and we were doing this visually, I could show you very, very easily. Eating unconsciously, grazing, just getting up when I'm bored and walking through the kitchen and taking a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there and just, you know, little mouthfuls, little taste of this, little taste of that. That's all very unconscious eating for me. Kitchen grazing. Oh, I was a champion kitchen grazer. Gotcha. I I thought when you were unconscious, you were like passed out on the floor. 
there's also uh, unconscious eating uh, being very, very awake. Unaware eating. Unaware eating. Yes, that's probably a better way to put it. Not being intentional with your eating. Yes. I was doing a lot of that. So I said no to doing that. Now, it's not like January 1 rolls around and I stop doing those things immediately. The whole idea of the say no more list is to just kind of make an intentional declaration of things that next year I'm going to put front of mind that I just don't want to do anymore. A couple of years back, I added some things like no more complaining. That say no more of no complaining really helped me a lot in 2020. Because even though I found myself complaining a little bit more in 2020, by having that on my say no more list, I just became more aware of when I was doing it. You're yawning your head off today. Am I boring you? No, tie tie. Oh, tie tie. That's uh, that's translation for tired. If you're not a longtime listener, let's do let's do two things before we honor the fact that we're both exhausted and we don't want to sit here recording each other, looking at each other for too much longer. Because I think what we're going to leave our audience with, I'm enjoying this conversation with you, but what we're going to leave our audience with is is a little uh, rerun. We're we're going to pull from the best of some of what we recorded earlier this year. Now, why would we do that? Well, because I think that there's a, a good reason to it's leave everybody with this with this potential uh, with this particular episode. Yes, it's intentional. Uh, it, it is very intentional that we are going to leave the end of the year's episode and go back to this idea of handling conflict. I don't know about you. Why? Why? Wait a second. Slow down. I'm trying. Why in the world would there be conflict during the holidays when everybody's trapped at home? <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of a reason. why. I mean, what would confining everybody to four walls and a roof? God bless. We have we have all those. I mean, where would the conflict arise? Isn't this the most joyous time of the year? The most joyous time to it's be locked up with your family. It's the most wonderful time. Sorry. <laughs> Ace, Ace cued the uh, Frank Sinatra tape a little soon. Yeah. Well, we should get you back to singing. That's something in 2021 I want to say yes to is, is seeing you uh, get out and sing a little more. Yeah, we're getting closer. All right, good. Yeah, it. I think conflict would be a good thing to uh, revisit in a very, very fun way because I don't know about you, but if I look back on my 2020 and look at what I did well and what I didn't do well, one of the things I did not do as well as I could have was handle conflict. What's something you did well then? If you jumped into the gorilla cage a wee bit too often. Yes, we certainly what, did. What's something you did well? I think we did the 10-10-10 principle pretty well this year. When it comes to 10% down, 10% layaway, 10% later later yeah of course you, you, yeah we already went through that 10, i know 10, i gotta 10. recycle some material <laughs> we we did a really good job with 10 10 10 this year to the point that we carried it not only throughout the year but into the holidays going out and buying the hottest newest thing brand new is not something we need to do anymore because of this wonderful uh thing called facebook marketplace as well as ebay and craigslist and all these cool places that people are selling gently used plug, things plug 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 right and especially with my son being new to snowboarding it made more sense for us to buy him a gently used snowboard for a hundred dollars that he could go out and try it and see if he falls in love with it before we start really investing money in snowboarding for him so it was a wonderful way to get him a full snowboard set up for about two hundred dollars which included boots, helmet, gloves, goggles, snowboard, bindings. I mean, the whole the whole banana. Did you get him some of those little hot pocket things? You uh, kind of like an ice pack, you kind of crush them, and then he's got, I mean, that could kind of take the whole gift over the top if you got him a six-pack of those. Well, thankfully, I'm very, very grateful for my wife who keeps a storage bin full of those at all times <laughs> in our house. 
good because it i mean it it does get to below like what 45 degrees in rockland it can get really cold in rockland but you know <laughs> when you go up the snow hill it could drop even more so uh, under, understandable <laughs> yeah so i mean that that's something i think we did really really well this year is just the different ways that i've learned to apply 10 10 10 it's gone beyond just impulsive spending even for my intentional spending i'm taking more time to really think about the meaning behind the purchase whether it be for me. And, and that was another thing was I did a lot more uh, purchasing for other people this year than I did for myself. I found that in 2020, I needed a lot less stuff because I was at home. I, I didn't even have the urge as much as I used to. I don't know necessarily how that happens. I mean, once a spendthrift, always a spendthrift, right? I mean, I'm, I'm never cured of that. Much like an alcoholic is never cured of the disease of alcoholism. It's just something you have to work at every day. And so I really feel like working every day at this idea of being a spendaholic and knowing that I've got to be more intentional every day with my money, what I'm finding over some time and what I've really noticed this last year, now that we've been giving this away to other people as well, is that the urges to spend and satisfy my needs by spending are becoming less and less. It's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, here's the curveball. What will that be like after COVID? Who? I've thought about that a little bit. And if there's a little, if there's a little fear, if there's a little fear around that, and if there's a little future tripping around that, sometimes I wonder if there's going to be this rubber band effect where once we're free to go out and do whatever we want to do, that all of a sudden I'm going to have this huge urge to go spend mindlessly again. But then I kind of stop that reel in my head and I make some conscious choices that no, not so much. I think that this experience with COVID has truly changed me and the way I think about how I use my money. I'm going to be more intentional. I'm going to make that choice that just because society may quote unquote go back to normal, that I don't need to relapse into those unhealthy behaviors that got me got me buried in debt. I don't want to go back there again. I'm, I'm really looking at part of the silver lining of COVID is that it forced me to change my relationship with money, whether I wanted to or not. I couldn't spend my money on some things that I would normally spend my money on. Right. And I'm not sure that I want to go back to whatever normal was. I know you and I both, and we've talked about this in episodes, have turned into a little bit of Bob the Builder around the house. Oh, absolutely. You the and handy, I between... The handyman, the handyman syndrome has been an absolute hidden blessing in 2020 because, number one, we had the time, particularly early on in this thing when it was really shut down. And number two, you didn't necessarily want some random stranger coming over to the house to fix something and bring in who knows what in terms of disease with him or her. So you and I have gotten uh, remarkably handy, which is just another way to reallocate money. I mean, I, I figured, as I said to you the other day, I probably saved eight to $10,000 this year. The whole do-it-yourself DIY, God bless YouTube and the endless videos from <laughs> from building a fence to uh, your retaining wall to fixing toilets to my homemade rat trap, which has been extraordinarily successful, I'm sad to report. It's unbelievable what you can fix or create or do around the house on your own. Yeah, we, we certainly have. We've, we've saved not only a lot of money, but you and I have learned a couple new skills about how to be handier around the house. It's actually been a wonderful confidence building tool. I mean, Instead of initially thinking, okay, who do I got to go call and schedule? It's like, no, no, I'm going to go to YouTube and fix it myself. Nice job, dude. 2020 was definitely a hell of a year, partner. Despite some of the challenges, 
that happened. I'm so incredibly grateful for being able to do this with you, being able to adapt a little bit to this new normal where we didn't have an opportunity to spend as much time in person with each other, with people we care about, but yet having gratitude for the fact that you and I were able to pivot in such an amazing way to use technology to spend time with people we care about, to do this podcast. The, the level of gratitude I have for being in the foxhole with you and being able to pivot and adapt and make the most out of this crazy 2020 has been awesome. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Right back at you. I think if there's a takeaway for everybody today, it is that it is that adaptability muscle. And just look back at your life and figure out what changes have you made? Where have you adapted to marshal through this thing? We could do an hour long episode on just our, our family, friends, and clients that have made extraordinarily courageous adaptations to life, whether it be a spending, whether it be a work thing, whether it be, I mean, the number of friends, neighbors, clients, family members that are moving, moving to adapt. We could tell stories for days on the adaptability muscle that so many people have either chosen to in that create your own re your reality concept or been forced into. Yeah, that'll be good for kicking off the new year is, uh, you know, we're going to be bringing some more guests onto the show. And one of the things I look forward to hearing on future episodes from some of these guests are these stories about how have we adapted our lives given the new normal that we live in? What does that look like? What parts of life have we had to adapt? How has our relationship with money adapted? How has our relationship with people adapted? How's our relationship with ourselves adapted? I can't wait to hear those stories. That's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. So to everyone, we wish you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday. By this point, we will have gone past Christmas and we'll be looking into the new year. So we're going to also wish a Happy New Year to all of our friends here at Financial Sobriety. Ace, for all that you do for us. Partner, we wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for you. So thanks. Thanks, everybody. Oh, you're incredibly welcome. Happy New Year, everybody. And enjoy our most favorite rerun of How to Handle Conflict. Episode 14. We are still in the trilogy of my people. This episode is brought to you by Inevitable Contact. Sorry. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Inevitable Conflict and all that can come up when you're dealing with your people. It's inevitable. We have a special guest in the studio today. It's actually our first guest in the studio, and it happens to be my wife, Beth. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We couldn't think of a better person to talk about conflict. No, sorry. Uh, no, there's there's lots there's there's lots I'm, I'm that she can down. add to the contribution. Excuse me, she can contribute to the conversation. Absolutely. And this whole concept of people and money and the way we've talked about in other episodes, you had this absolute fury to make more money so you could take care of your people. Right. What ended up happening over time was that it started to not just impact those relationships with your people, it started to actually ruin them. Yeah. There's a lot of emotional pain right now with money, with everything that's going on in the world, and people are confined to their homes. There's a lot more togetherness than there has been in a long, long time. I think part of what we should really get into is how do I deal with that conflict or the criticism for another 
very important person in my life. And the hostility and the controversy, the greatest relationship killer of all time is resentment. And I wonder if there's a lot of resentment starting to build up with all the shelter-in-place stuff going on right now. Well, I mean, you see, you see it. I mean, I see it on social media with people that are crying to do away with the shelter-in-place and you should go to the beach and you should go out to dinner and all, all that stuff. I don't, I don't really want to go there. Yeah. But that killer is resentment. And all the conflict that can come from having too much money or not enough money and the impact that your relationship with money has on your people. So I think this is really timely. Yeah. And it's very powerful stuff. And I think we just, I just jump right in. I mean, conflict is absolutely inevitable. I mean, you can try. And I know I've, I grew up in a household where there was a tremendous amount of conflict in a very short period of years. It was around the first few years my dad was starting his business. And I know I come from a mindset of trying to eliminate conflict. But that's not really healthy. That's not really natural. But it was just my mechanism to deal with the conflict that was going on within my family. I'm sure a lot of people where there's a lot of conflict going on in their families right now. Why don't we just jump in and start with that concept of just conflict avoidance and Beth, by all means, don't hesitate to uh, to chime in. Yeah, conflict avoidance is uh, is what I try to be a part of every day. I, I really try to avoid conflict because for me in my life, it's never really been a healthy thing. And and when I talk about conflict, I'm not talking about disagreement. I think just if we could take a minute to just differentiate a little bit between disagreement and conflict. I, I want to order the orange chicken. I want to order the General Cho's chicken. Yeah. So, you know, why don't we just order both? See, there we avoided the conflict. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a disagreement that didn't become conflict because we could agree on something. We could compromise. What I'm hoping to accomplish in this conversation is by looking at this concept of, of conflict and how that can lead to what I believe is the number one killer of relationship, of human connection, is this idea of a resentment. If we can avoid that, if we can deal with that, if we can learn how to resolve that, if we can learn how to handle that and avoid that resentment, then I think you and I are taking one step closer to our mission of creating more human connection as the centerpiece of wealth. Couldn't agree more, because you shared a concept with me a number of years ago, and this is a great visual for a podcast— one of your mentors was uh, walking with a, was it a Maasai elder in Africa? Oh, yeah, Richard Leiter. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about Richard. And the whole concept of Richard had this 70-pound backpack full of stuff. Right. And this Maasai, el- Maasai elder? Yeah, he, I don't was, he, get was, he was a Maasai elder. His name was Koye. Okay. And he was the leader of a group of Maasai in, in Central Africa. They were out on a walk a backpack trip, a, a kind of a soul-searching trip is what Richard was doing. He had an 84-pound backpack. Koye was walking with a stick and a water bottle. And at the first break, Richard pulls the backpack off his back. Oh, my God, that's so heavy. It's so exhausting. And Koye looks at him and says, Richard, does all that stuff make you happy? And that was like the Tommy Boy 2 by 4 smash in Richard's face. Because what he started doing at that point was realizing how much extra junk he had been carrying in his backpack, and it became this light of life for him. 
where all of a sudden now he started pulling all this stuff out of the backpack. He and Koye were ripping through the backpack and throwing out all the non-essential stuff that he didn't need. And when he put the backpack back on, an 84-pound backpack was 65 pounds lighter. He eliminated two-thirds of the stuff he had been carrying around, and it became this incredible analogy to his life. It really got him thinking about his life and all the stuff. As, as we walk through life, we keep shoving this stuff in our backpack. Did he have to call like the 800 people to come pick up the, the junk in the middle of Africa, or could he just leave it there? I think he just left it there for the lines that you on. Okay. Yeah. But it became this big analogy for life, and, and he wrote a whole training program on this idea of unpacking and repacking your bags with only the essentials. You just described my wedding day. Oh, do tell more. Because my wife was standing at the altar with a walking stick and a bottle of water, and I had an 84-pound <laughs> backpack of every, of every memento piece of paper and everything you can think Let, of. Let's be clear. You still have that 84-pound backpack. Well, it's 184 pounds. Costco I, gave—they had bigger yeah, ones, so I bought a no, bigger one. There's, there's like, oh, there's a whole wall shelves in our garage of all those 84-pound backpacks that you— Yeah. Well, he's one of the most sentimental people in the he's world, and he keeps everything. Absolutely. And I, I am not. And— <laughs> Therein lies, which is one of my most favorite times of the year. I think it's like three times a year. I call it Big Trash Night. And it's you take all of your CRAP out of your house that you want to get rid of, and it's an opportunity to purge. So how do you deal the, with that? That's the physical. Yeah. How do, you, how do you deal with that? Not so well. Okay. Not so well. So, does, I mean, is this, does this cause conflict for the two of you, or is this more of a disagreement that you've figured out how to live with? Not no mo. No? No, I let it go. Oh. That was the, the visual of the little bird flying up. Now, I'm partly just having a little fun with everybody here, but I, I struggle. I really do. I'm getting much better at letting some of the physical stuff go. I've gotten much better at letting some of the emotional stuff go. I was on the phone the other day with my dad, and he was asking me about a conflict that I had with a person. You know, he was saying, don't you want to hang on to that? Oh, and in not using the backpack, I used my wagon. So let's go back to the little red wagon that a lot of people had when they were kids. I got a red radio flyer in my backyard Thank right you. now. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's probably a planter. Mm -hmm. And I said, Dad, if I put everything in my wagon, I couldn't, I couldn't leave my house. So at the emotional level, I think that's really important when you're talking about conflict resolution is you, you can't take every little thing with you, every little wrong that somebody has done to you. We talk in our planning process about the bag of crap analysis, right, and how everybody comes in with all their financial papers in a box or a bag. Or <laughs> It'd be kind of fun if they came in with a wagon. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you got to shake that thing out and empty it out every once in a while. Yes. This episode is being recorded just a couple of days after Mother's Day. And since we have my wife here with me in the studio today, one of her very favorite things to do on Mother's Day is clean the garage. A purge day? Yeah. And, and I and don't... And I, my birthday. I don't stutter, so I will repeat that. She likes to clean the garage. Well, it sounds like there's a couple purge days a year. We obviously need a third one because big trash people come three times a year. So let's go with Father's Day or the 4th of July. Oh, yeah, like you'd be into that for Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. But it's something that... Again, we, we can talk about this at multiple levels, and, and let's just first talk about conflict avoidance. I like to think about this in that if conflict is presented to me, if someone in my family, if you, if any person, you know, last episode we talked about these different concentric circles of relationships. So if someone in my inner circle, because that's really who I care about 
when it comes to conflict for the most part. That's the place I want to try to avoid conflict at all costs. You're yet. just not going to smile and nod politely? Correct. Well, <laughs> that's the place that conflict happens the most. Right. That's where it's the most painful. For my inner circle, it's all about conflict avoidance. I love the analogy you used for this. Which one? The jumping one. Oh, jumping in the cage. Yeah. Come on. Jumping in the gorilla cage. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, con conflict for me is the equivalent of jumping into a gorilla cage. And if I'm going to jump into that conflict, I'm going to get cut. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get beat up a little bit. So I have a choice to make if conflict is presented to me. If somebody's trying to push my buttons, trying to create conflict, I have a choice to make. Do I want to jump in that cage? Example, my son Lucas came to me several weeks ago when all this distance learning thing was, was rolling out. He said, Dad, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this online learning crap. Did you know, did you know that less than 3% of students in the state of California are participating in distance learning, Dad? Did you know that? I, I could have very easily jumped in the gorilla cage with him and invitation. said— Yeah, he gave— Invitation. He, it was an invitation to conflict. Invitation to conflict has arrived in your inbox. Exactly. And I could have very easily looked at him and said, dude, you're absolutely wrong. That is not true. Where did you read that? And I don't care what the statistics are. You're going to do your work. And— Is that the mushroom cloud? That's the mushroom cloud over my house in Rockland, California. Because I didn't think gorilla sounded like that. Oh, that was a mushroom cloud. Definitely not a gorilla. <laughs> Lots of acronyms for this. Yeah. I love your acronyms for this. Well, I mean, the first acronym... HALT. HALT. Who goes there? HALT. What does that mean to me? HALT is an acronym to me that stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. HALT. I, I didn't create any of this. This is, this is what's been taught to me. But when Lucas comes to me with a comment like that, where, or, or anybody in my life... HALT. The very first thing I tell myself is... Halt. Before I speak, halt. Because if I'm hungry, if I'm angry, if I'm lonely, or if I'm tired, chances are whatever's going to come out of my mouth next will not be very kind. It's time to walk away very slowly from the wild wildebeest. Yeah. Walk away very, very carefully. With your mouth shut. Yes. Zip it. The idea of jumping in the gorilla cage when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired only results in people getting hurt. There's nothing productive that can come from a conversation. Any conversation, whether someone is trying to create conflict with me or literally somebody's just asking me a question. If I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, I need to keep my mouth shut. I need to rectify one of those four things that I might be feeling right now before I engage in that conversation because it's not very productive. So by this point in your inner circle, do they know the five minutes a day when you're not haltish? It's more like three minutes a day. Three minutes, okay. <laughs> yes. Good. Yes. Well, the only person who needs to know when that is is me because I'm the one who's in charge of opening and closing my mouth and speaking. So maybe what we should do in our family, we've got four, four children who are all under one roof right now, somewhat involuntarily, involuntarily. Maybe we should have a sign. We should have a halt sign. And we can turn it like, you know, the dishwasher's clean or dirty. We could make them. There could be a little craft project tomorrow. Sure. <laughs> and a halt. halt. Halt yeah. signs? Yeah. Yeah. Or you have to, like, slide the thing over that says, I'm H. Well, since I'm you, hungry. Since you've got four children at home, we've got multiple acronyms that we're going to share today. So maybe each one of your children can wear a unique sign with their own acronym. Now, wait just a second. <laughs> wait is my next acronym. And again, I didn't create this stuff. This is what's been taught to me. 
because conflict has been such a huge part of my life. It was such a huge part of the financial train wreck that I was and how that affected my relationships with people. There was a lot of conflict there. And so coming out the other side, there had to be healing from this. There had to be ways, new ways to deal with conflict that weren't as hurtful as they were then. So that's one tool for conflict avoidance. You said wait. That's the next one. Are you think? Are you, are you saying I'm fat? <laughs> Don't go there. W A I T. Oh, W A I T. Right. Okay. Right. There's no there there. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. W. I didn't have Chick Fil A today. Okay, that was a few <laughs> episodes ago. Did you have kale today? <laughs> Thank God, no. <laughs> Wait is another acronym that helps me avoid conflict. Wait stands for Why am I talking? Wait. Wait a second. Pause. Wait. Why am I talking? It's just a little self-check I do after halt. And if there's no good reason for me to talk, I'm generally going to keep my mouth shut to avoid my conflict. I'm just waiting. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Why are you talking? (laughs) Exactly. I felt the pregnant pause. Yeah, but, you know, when when we're doing this, we have to have conflict. Conflict is fun. It's what our listeners want. True. We'll get there eventually. Okay. I get I get halt. Love it. I'm just going to call it Beth. <laughs> B-E-T-H. Would you like to call Jim Wait? Why am I talking? I'm not going to go there. Okay. And I get Wait. The next one I really like. It just it takes a little work for me. Everything we talk about in these episodes, <clears throat> all of these exercises, everything about financial sobriety is a process and a journey of learning different mindset, different behaviors, And just like anything we're trying to change in life, it takes time. It takes practice over and over and over. You know how long it took me to memorize this kind of stuff? This didn't all happen the first time somebody said to me, hey, I got an acronym for you. It's HALT. It's WAIT. And the third one is THINK. To remember all of this stuff, to be able to use these tools, we're throwing it all out here in a 30- or 40-minute podcast episode. Sure, sure. These are years in the making. These are things that have taken years of practice, years of hard work. Think, think is another pause mechanism. All three of these acronyms for conflict avoidance, it's all about pausing. And this is something we, we talk about all the time. Pause. Let's slow this train down a little bit before we react to what's happening in front of us. Let's pause so that we can respond and try to avoid conflict. So I think of this as kind of level one, level two, level three. Yes. Almost like in... Codes. This is a code one, code two, red, code red, all that, you know, orange, red, green, blue. This is not easy stuff. It's simple stuff. Again, that I think simple is acronyms, but it's not easy stuff. Again, it requires practice. It requires intentional behavior. Level three is this idea of think before I speak. Think before I speak. That's not something new. We've heard that before. Have you both heard that before? I think so. You were probably thinking before you just said that. You think? Think, of course, becomes an acronym. Is what I would like to say true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I'm tired. By this point, the conflict's conflict probably over because I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at all the time. We're, we're haven't putting, said anything. No. We're, well, we're putting all this time into— I'm waiting to say something for crying out loud. How long does a Major League Baseball game take? Four days. Right. How much baseball is actually played in those four days? Four minutes. Exactly. We are spending hours and hours and hours of time to prepare for something that could be over in 10 seconds, Mr. Thinker. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. What you just said is kind of true. We're spending all this time and the conflict is already over. Beautiful. Generally, if it's not true, if it's not helpful, if it's not important, if it's not necessary or it's not kind, what purpose does it serve to come out of my mouth other than conflict? Those sound like great reminders of something my mother would have said to me. If it's not true, if it's not helpful, if it's not important, if it's not necessary, if it's not kind. Don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah. Yeah, this is not rocket science stuff, but it's stuff that I need to write down and keep front and center in front of me, or conflict is constant. And for me, conflict avoidance is paramount in my life right now. As we said at the onset of all these episodes, is that we're trying to give people tools. We're trying to build a toolbox full of different tools that they can use in different circumstances. Absolutely. I think here in the conflict avoidance category, halt, wait, and think are three very, very powerful tools. Yes. And no different than after you run to your favorite hardware store and buy a tool, before you come home and use it, it takes a little practice. Absolutely. Before you put the tool actually into use on repairing a deck, building a jewelry box, whatever it is. I don't know why I looked at Beth for building a jewelry box. Do you need a new You've, jewelry he's box? He's never built me a jewelry box, by the way. How I about a humidor? Has he built you a humidor? I got something no, to do this weekend. <laughs> what I think is so interesting is these concepts are, are very important and the idea of the practice. And the thing that is overwhelming to me is that these are life skills. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about them in relation to financial sobriety and all that. But these are really things that need to be taught to our children in schools. And granted, as parents, we can also be teaching these these tools to our kids. They're all homeschooled now. That's true, actually. So it's you and me, kid. I, that, you're right. That's yeah. a good point. I need to add that to my uh, Why don't you think about COVID, that next time? My, my no. COVID uh, routine. <laughs> but it just, it's because, like you said, conflict is inevitable. Beth, you started going down the road of conflict resolution. These acronyms are designed to help us avoid conflict, but sometimes we use these, but yet we still find ourselves in conflict, Right. where it's as simple as there's one basketball, and there are two of us who would like to play with it. How do we then, if wait, halt, and think don't work, how do we then start going about conflict resolution? Now, it could be as simple as Rochambeau, but what do we need? What, what needs to be there for two children or two people? Or in some cases, two business partners that disagree on a, on a decision that needs to be made. How would we resolve that conflict? We could do something like Rochambeau or flip a coin. What's in the room that allows you to let me eat the basketball? A gorilla. What's the T word that's in the room? And we've talked about this in previous episodes. It's part of the epicenter of human connection. We're talking about our inner circle. We're talking about trust. eliminating the trust the gap. Trust gap. Yeah, the, thank you. So... If we're talking about our innermost circle here on the concentric circles, and we've been going through this epicenter of wealth module where we're creating trust and we're maintaining trust, then part of where conflict resolution comes in is is we have to have that trust that I trust you that if you get to eat the basketball this time, it's okay. Or in a serious situation, you and I have a business decision to make. Right. I disagree with that business decision. Right. But I trust you have our best interest at heart. And even though I don't fully agree with the decision, because I trust you, I'm willing to, okay, this time we go with what you want to do. And maybe next time we go with what I want to do. But the trust has to be there. This next concept is is one of my favorites. You, you've really helped me with this. So I think if you're looking at the concepts of halt, wait, and think, 
you could use this question as the primer. You've got the question of, am I jumping into the gorilla cage or not? I'm going to be halting and waiting and thinking. But then you refer to this question that I really, I really, really like. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? Because when there's conflict, I can't be both. So in our house, I think it's fair to say of the six of us, we have some pretty strong-willed individuals. And there's a very strong tendency in our house for our people to want to be right. So this concept of do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? So you've got conflict in the room. And if I'm going to go to loggerhead, I mean, I, I, watch, my, I watch my kids do this on a daily basis. Sure, me right? too. This is a critical question. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? You can't be both. And I think like everything we're doing, it's about repetition. It's about practice. It's about saying it in our families with our children because your family's not unique in this case. We have the same stuff going on in our family dynamic where everybody wants to be right. And we just have to consistently remind ourselves that question. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? I love sitting in bed at night for a half hour before I go to sleep. I play words with friends with my mom. And then I sit there and think about my day. And I kind of hot wash my day. Oh, yeah. It just I, takes a half hour? Yeah. Oh, Sometimes okay. less. About 20 minutes of words with friends, 10 minutes of hot wash. <laughs> because I've, gotten, I've got a lot of practice using these tools. But in the beginning, I didn't. So I had to analyze my day and think about my day. Oh, boy, I, I really could have used that tool there. And so for me to use these tools, I had to plaster them all over my life. I mean, literally uh, written on my, uh, on my mirror in my bathroom in uh, dry erase ink or sometimes accidentally permanent ink. But literally like the stickers on our laptops. You were the first one to teach me the pause concept. So I have a sticker on my computer and it says pause. Everywhere around me I have these reminders. And I've been utilizing these tools and practicing these tools for a long time, yet I still need the visual help because I don't know about you, but I was at a point in my life where there was so much conflict going on where I just felt miserable inside and I didn't want it anymore. When you're willing to make changes because you want something different for yourself, there has to be different behaviors and actions that come along with it, and it takes practice. The late, great Jim Kelly, one of my dearest friends and mentors, no longer with us, taught me the concept of you have to slow down to go faster. I remember the first time he said that to me in the conference room where you and I first met. I was so mad at him because I was like, what the hell does that mean? Slow down to go faster. But now I get it all these years later. Sure. 15, almost 20 years later. Right? Sure. That's where all of these talking points today are pauses. They're all opportunities to slow down. Yep. That's the essence of all of it is right? pausing. Yeah. Because conflicts are just like automobile accidents. You're on your way to a lovely afternoon in the country doing something with your family, and boom, you get into a little fender bender. It's not a big accident, but oh, come on. Now this is going to take 45 minutes. we got to wait for the tow truck. i got to exchange the information. It slows us down. If we don't have that conflict, we're going to get to where we want to go faster. Right. It took me a long time to recognize that. Sure. If you're listening to this and you're kind of got the little squinty eye thing going like, hmm, I don't really know about this stuff, just give it a try. Yeah. You're here because you're open-minded and willing. So the pause, the slow down, conflict generally, at least my experience has been, is the result of reaction rather than responding. So if somehow we can learn to just pause for a minute, halt, wait, think, those are the acronyms that work for me. Maybe we should testify before Congress with these concepts. Ooh, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Let's talk about handling criticism. There's another, another area of conflict, and it's this area of criticism, judgment. Oh, I'm very sensitive to this. Yeah? I like your hair. Criticism, thank you. 
Uh, that's not criticism. Oh. Criticism has always been coachability. As a CYO basketball coach, I'm looking for coachability. And the ability to give criticism back to a player, they may hear it as criticism, but it's actually coaching. That's another life skill, Beth, as you were talking about earlier, is your ability to receive feedback, criticism, coaching, sure, is important. Well, but there's a difference there. I mean, there's coaching, there's offering feedback, there's ways to be constructive. You and I do that all the time. You and I have sat here in the in the studio, and you and I have recorded episodes where after the episode, you've looked at me and you've said, lighten up, Francis, because I was taking this thing too seriously. And I didn't take that as criticism. I took that as constructive input. Well, because, you're a good student. I mean, you're coaching. Think I, of it as coaching. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we've been practicing this stuff for a long time. Right. But then there is criticism. There are things we do where we are specifically criticizing somebody, and then we have to decide how we want to take that. If we are taking criticism, we can choose how we react to that. Who is criticism really all about? If, if somebody is criticizing me, you shouldn't have—and it's just overcritical. Who's that really all about? Mm. Cue the dark side music. Lucas, my son. Lucas, what are you doing? I can't believe you're failing your math class. That's awful. You're awful. You're a horrible student. You're not doing the work you need to do. I'm criticizing him. Who's that really all about? I think it's time for another acronym. Y-O-U. <laughs> there you go. Only it ain't an acronym, my friend. Right. That's about me. Right. And one of the things that I've learned— is that when I am the recipient of criticism and my initial reaction is, oh, I'm feeling angry. Mine's halt. Oh, very good. I will pause and realize that that criticism that's coming to me really isn't about me. It's about you. It's about you projecting something you don't like about yourself on someone else. And just having that knowledge and awareness helps me not react. Aha! As they would say. Exactly. It's that aha moment where I don't react. That's perfect. I can't add to that. Well said. I'm, I'm thinking. Another way that it's been presented to me is if I'm pointing my finger at you, I've got three fingers three, pointed three, right back three at me. Three coming right back at me. Yeah, exactly. So if I'm pointing my finger at you, whether it's my index finger, my middle finger, my ring finger, there's, or my pinky. There's three firing right back. There's three firing right back at me. Beautiful. Let's get to the resentment piece, because I think that's really important. I want to get there, but there's one last thing on, on criticism and judgment. When you finally learn— Are you judging me? Uh-huh. Always. I always judge you. It's up to you how you handle that. <laughs> when you finally learn that a person's behavior has more to do with their internal struggle than it ever did with you, you learn an incredible concept. Grace. And conflict begins to disappear from your life. Insert peace. Insert calmness. Whatever your favorite word is for joy, serenity. Joy, serenity. Yeah. All right, let's talk about resentments. The last piece of conflict. Yeah. So if this is the relationship killer, what are some tips, tricks, or hopefully there's another acronym we can come up with that help either avoid the resentment or dissolve it? I think we're out of acronyms. We've okay. used all our acronyms. You're right about something. I mean, resentments for me have been these internal fires that just eat us alive from the inside out. For me, I've had to get rid of them, or they're going to destroy all the most significant relationships that I have. How do I deal with resentment? The first thing that I've had to deal with, you asked me, you know, how, how do we get rid of these resentments? Somebody does something to me, and I have a resentment over that. Right. You can either put it in the wagon. And carry it with and me. And carry it with you every day. Or I can do something with it. Right. 
the first thing that I try to do with every resentment, I try to find my part. As it, we would say in Five to Thrive. I own it. You own it. Right. And now you have an opportunity to fix it. Thank you. I had a situation with a former business partner where I carried a resentment towards this business partner for a long, long time. This business partner did wrong by me. This business partner brought a whole bunch of messy stuff from the personal life into the work life. And it affected the work life in a very, very negative way to the point that I separated from this partnership. I carried resentments over how this person brought this into our workplace as well as how it affected our clients. Well beyond the point at which the business relationship was over. Years after the business relationship was so over. So you had stuffed it way down in that backpack. Way down. And every time I thought about this person, I would feel this just burning, gnawing, in my gut, anger, dislike, almost hatred. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Venom. Yeah, it was venomous. And, you know, when somebody said to me, well, a friend of mine said, well, what's your part? What, how'd you contribute? To this. I looked at him like he was nuts. I didn't have anything to do with this. It was all on that person. And he asked me again, what was your part? So I thought, and I thought, and I did a little writing. And what I realized was, was my part, I had two parts in it. First part was I let it happen. I just, I let it happen. I didn't establish a boundary right from the get-go and I let it happen. You didn't say no more. I didn't say no when it started happening. The second thing that was my part was I started feeling a sense of, I'm better than you. You brought this in. I'm better than you. I don't need to be here anymore. That's something we call false pride. I'm no better than anybody else. How many mistakes have I made in my life? How many bad choices and bad decisions have I made in my life? And here I am pointing my finger at somebody else, three fingers pointed right back at me, and I've got this horrible resentment gnawing at me. Now, if you look at the whole picture— my former business partner probably had 90% of why I felt this resentment, but I was able to find a little part in it that I actually had, and I was able to do something about it. After years of not communicating with this old business partner— You emptied out the backpack. I emptied out my backpack. You found it. And I went, and I had a conversation with this former business partner. Did you text them or something on, like, Instagram? Called. Picked up the phone. You pick, You actually spoke with that person. A telephone call. Wow. I'd like to come see you. What would you like to come see me about? I did some things wrong on my way out the door that I'd like to own and fix. I'd like to make it right. There was silence like that. Sure. I'm a little on my heels just thinking about it. That takes tremendous courage on your part. It takes courage on that person's part to be open to it, not just yeah. slam the phone down on you. Well, and th this is a person that totally wronged me. There was very little I had to do with this, but I knew that this resentment that I had towards this person was gnawing at me and eating at me, and I was projecting that resentment on other people. I wasn't even aware of it, but I would think about this person, it would get me angry, and then I'd turn and bite your head off because of it. So halt. It yeah, it was causing damage. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't halting. I, I'm going to use that word a lot now. You should. I love it. That's a powerful story, and I think for all of us listening, we're probably in our own head thinking of some story or tale or situation where there's resentment that's been festering that needs to go. Mm -hmm. And may we all have the grace to do what you did. Sure. Thank you. What happens when we don't have a part in it? Then it gets more challenging. What happens if somebody keyed my car in a parking lot? Do I have a part in that? I guess I put my car in the parking lot. There's my part in it. 
so I did contribute to it. But if, if literally I can't think of a single thing that I did or that put me in this situation to cause this resentment, now what do I do? Now I have a choice. I can carry it with me for the rest of my life in my little red radio flyer behind me or my backpack like Richard would, or I could use this really cool thing called forgiveness. Is forgiveness forgetting? Not at all. Well, the reason I'm pausing is I'm, I've got a story in my head that I was thinking of as you were talking about that. So we went on vacation a number of years ago. 2016, we oh, went to Carlos Santos. Oh, you house. Yeah, yeah. I remember when you guys went. And our house was about 1,000 yards from the beach, and we like to go down to the beach at sunset. So there's 10 of us back when you could have 10 people in a room together doing something. Sure. Holding hands, singing kumbaya. And we're walking to the beach, and uh, there was a sign that said, please leave shoes here. So we all take our flip-flops off. We go down into this absolutely spectacular beach. We're there for over an hour. It turns out the Tortuga... The, the little sea turtles yeah. are hatching, and you can participate, and you can hatch one, and you can watch it struggle on its way into the ocean. And it's just an incredible experience for our family. And as we're coming back, we're all, I mean, this was just so fun in the sunset. And we're, and we're going to go back. We're going to have a lovely dinner. And we come back to the beach, and we're going to get a, The flip-flops were gone. Oh, no. And everybody very quickly got very upset. Now, I was the lucky one. I got a short leg. So I wear two flip-flops because one is a little thicker than the other to make up for my short-leggedness. And my one flip-flop is there. It's the only one. Your one thick 19, flip-flop. 19 flip-flops are missing, but the one that I need for the short leg is there. Is there. Wow. So we're walking back, and I don't, I don't remember who said it. I might, I, I might have said it, but somebody said, you know, maybe they needed the flip-flops more than we did. You said it. Of course you said it. That's a total Jim Gebhardt thing to say. There we go. Well, and he That's also a compliment. Had, That's well, a compliment. he also had one of his two flip-flops, so of exactly. course it's easy for him Actually, to say. Actually, he was better off than the rest. Uh, we found my other flip-flop in the shrubs uh, about 20 feet away as we were walking back. So I was the only one that had flip-flops the rest of the vacation. Did anybody who was there with you say, I'm not forgiving people for this stuff. They did this to me. There's no way I could let that go. Came and went. Came, Came and, went. and went. There were moments of it, and then it went away, and it was like, yeah, maybe they did need those flip-flops more yeah. than we did. Well, so think of, obviously, that's not the most egregious thing that could have happened to you with It your is family. when you're on a beach vacation. I understand, but you were in Mexico. I well, could think of a few things what, that could have been What, am I going to wear my Alan Edmonds around the, the pool? I could think of a few things in Mexico that could I, have gone worse I than know. losing your freaking flip-flops. I know. You called me at 2 a.m. once when that <laughs> happened. Who's forgiveness for? Who's it really all about? If you wrong me... Is the forgiveness, if me forgiving you, really about you? Is it for you? I guess based on how you're ans- asking me the question, the answer is no. Well, you could say yes. Your eminence. Yeah, you could say yes, and then I would criticize you. It's not for you. When I went to my old business partner to say I'm sorry, what I was really doing was figuring out a way to forgive that old business partner. By getting rid of my stuff and owning my part, it allowed me to forgive my old business partner for what my business partner did to me. And it wasn't about my business partner. It was about me. It was about giving me relief from the resentment that was bottled up inside of me and eating me from the inside out. And then that's also closure for you. Yes. yes. And then you can move on. Well, it makes room for new resentments. It does. It's for us to go through this process all over again. You can only carry so much. <laughs> But we've all, I mean, all three of us, all three of us have had stuff happen to us, really bad stuff where people have mistreated us in really, really bad ways. And I know personally, 
I've held on to that resentment because, gosh darn it, there's no way I'm giving you forgiveness. But when I realize that the forgiveness really isn't for you, it's for me. Because forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not saying that what you did to me is okay. What forgiveness does is it lets me heal from the resentment that I've been carrying around that's been causing me to project that resentment on my most important people, right. which is screwing up my relationships. Right. Resentment is the killer of all relationships. Powerful. Yes. We've talked about a lot. I mean, conflict's inevitable. We've talked about avoiding it. If we can't avoid it, how we deal with it, how we resolve it. We've had some great acronyms today. We've talked about handling criticism and judgment. You bet. And then the ultimate relationship killer resentments. Imagine what this could do for your money. If you were able to let go of conflicts, if you didn't step into the gorilla cage, if you had tools in your tool bag to help you pause and deal with the criticism or the judgment or the resentment that was festering, what impact would that have on your money? Well, for me, it would probably keep me from impulsive purchases. I mean, so much of how I used to medicate myself when I was dealing with these resentments that were building up inside of me was I'd go spend money on something. Needfully, wastefully. Completely wastefully. Right. And our whole 10-10-10 concept is really just a different packaging of halt, wait, think. It's pausing. Yes. So if we're able to not have these resentments that build up and that we're carrying in the wagon, the energy, we talk so much about energy and confidence. What does the world look like if there isn't so much judgment and resentment? What does that mean for the relationships and the, and the human connection that we have with people? How much closer, how much more love is in the air? I hate to use an old saying, but how much love would reenter the conversation if resentment wasn't there? Right. This is absolutely very, very powerful, powerful stuff that we've talked about today in the context of not just how does it repair the relationships with your people, but how ultimately it can help repair the relationship with your money. Beth, I appreciate you being here for it today. Thank you for having me. It's fun having you in the studio. I don't have any resentment over that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Glad I'm, to know. I'm guessing the car ride home is going to be filled with a little bit of yeah. criticism and judgment. <laughs> so no, it, no. Def no. Definitely a couple more acronyms. Oh, perfect. We'll come up with those. Awesome. I can't wait. That is a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged 
encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.